0: Welcome to the Dermatology Podcast, the official podcast of the European Academy of Dermatology and Venereology. I'm Christopher Horskamp,
1: and I'm Siti
0: Mitvar, and we are your hosts.
1: Two months ago, we brought you the episode, WoW with Dermatology.
0: And now, because of the feedback from you, our audience, we're going to go further into the subject and explore some certain dermatoses that affect the vulva, again, with Dr. Fiona Lewis.
2: Lichen planus often has um, elements of disease at other sites, but lichen sclerosis is by far the commonest skin problem that we see affecting the um, vulval area.
0: But before that...
1: EETV Live will host a webcast, Effective Feedback in Dermatology Education, with professors Minal Singh, Kosa Loa. Paul Jarrett, Tamara Griffiths, Hassan Galadari and Armirto Tracatelli on the 15th of September at 2 p.m. Central European Summer Time. For more information on how to watch it live and even ask questions to the speakers, go to www.edv.org under education and
0: EADV's 30th Congress Anniversary Edition is a great opportunity to expand your horizons and learn from some of the world's most renowned educators and thought leaders during this virtual celebration of science. This vast CME accredited scientific program features more than 550 speakers delivering over 160 Simulive sessions on cutting edge research and scientific developments, nine plenary lectures, eight late breaking news sessions, and over 20 participating companies giving 70 industry sessions. Not only that, countless networking opportunities. Don't miss it. For more information, go to www.eadvcongress2021.org. This virtual congress will be live from the 29th of September through the 2nd of October, 2021. And now? So here's the background. Two months ago on the Dermatology podcast, we revisited an EADV live webcast entitled Vulva Dermatology, where Dr. Fiona Lewis discussed common inflammatory dermatoses that affect the vulva. It was so popular. Here we are again.
1: Yes, the feedback we got from you all and the number of downloads showed us that this is a subject that you value and want more of. Fortunately for us, we can bring you part two, where she discusses two of the most important conditions lichen planus and lichen sclerosis. As we mentioned previously, Dr. Fiona Lewis trained in dermatology at the Royal Helmshire Hospital, Sheffield, and completed her MD thesis on clinical and immunological aspects of lichen sclerosis there. She now runs the Vowel Clinic service at St. John's Institute of Dermatology, which is a busy tertiary service for complex vowel conditions. With colleagues, she has established the San John's Annual Course on Anogenital and Oral Dermatology. She is co-author of a practical textbook of vulval disease, written for trainees and is co-editor of the textbook, Ridley's Vulva. and is active in clinical research.
0: Let's give a listen as Dr. Lewis goes further into the subject.
1: So I'm
2: going to spend the... the, the next half of the talk um on the two conditions that are very specific to the vulva um lichen planus often has um elements of disease at other sites but lichen sclerosis is by far the commonest skin problem that we see affecting the um vulval area so this was first um described um by henry Hallipo um in the late 1880s so It's uh, well over probably about 150 years since this was first described. And just one of the things to point out is that there is a lot of confusion about terminology. And all of these terms have been used to describe um, lichen sclerosis. But specifically, the et atrophicus um, terminology really should be dropped. And the condition should be called lichen sclerosis. So not LS et A. Um in men, the term balanitis eroticlobicarans um is still used sometimes, but the disease is like in sclerosis, and the International Society for the Study of Vulval Disease um, used that term in 1970, in the 1970s, and this is really what we should be calling the disease today, because it is not always um an atrophic disease, and actually recognizing the pattern of disease that is not atrophic is very important because those are the patients that may well have an increased risk of malignant change. So what causes it? We we still don't really know. Um, It's thought that there may be genetic factors, um, and this is supported by some uh, work on HLA antigens. Um, But interestingly, although these have been... um, CQ and DR HLA antigens have been linked to lichen sclerosis in women. There is much less evidence for this in men with lichen sclerosis. Is it an autoimmune disease? Well, it has links certainly with other autoimmune conditions um, and um, antibodies to the basement membrane zone and to extracellular matrix protein have been shown. there's a lot about lichen sclerosis, particularly in men, that doesn't have the flavor of an autoimmune problem. And then infection, that's that um, there was a vogue for thinking about Borrelia, um, but that really uh, is there's little evidence for that in big studies and certainly no evidence for HPV infection um, either. We know that the skin immune system is involved at all stages um, and that even in treated disease, you can have increased cytokine activity and HLA-DR expression. Um, But the ultimate cause is is not known. There may be epigenetic factors um, as well, which is an emerging um, theory. So if we look at some clinical examples, um, extragenital lichen sclerosis, um, and this occurs in about 10 to 15 percent of women with genital disease and certainly as dermatologists you will sometimes see patients that present with a white area on the trunk often at sites of friction Um, and if you ask they may not have any genital symptoms but if you look um, you will nearly always find lichen sclerosis um, in the vulva even though that may be asymptomatic and very subtle and mild. Who gets it? There are two peaks of incidence. There's a peak in the pre-pubertal age range, um, usually between the ages of three and five. But the big group, um, this is a study of about um, hundreds or so of our patients, Um, the big group is postmenopause. So the vast majority of women usually start symptoms in the 50s and 60s. Um, Unfortunately, the diagnosis is often not made till a lot later, but the incidence into the 70s and 80s of onset of symptoms is actually um, much less uh, common. And the histology is very typical. You have a very thinned epidermis. Then you have this very dense band of homogenized collagen, which gives the disease its very whitish appearance. And then this lymphocytic uh, infiltration underneath and as the disease progresses, what happens is that in very early lichen sclerosis, this infiltrate will be much higher in the dermis and it just gets pushed down as the disease um, progresses without treatment. So what are the symptoms? So itch is by far the most common um, symptom. It can be uncomfortable, um, particularly if you get small fissures in the skin. Um, and dysperunia, again related to fissuring um, and sometimes the narrowing of the introitus that will occur, um, it, it can be a problem. One of the big issues in children is constipation, and um, over 60% in some studies will present with constipation, um, particularly if they get perianal disease. That's not so common in adults. So, what are the features? And it really is important um, to If you're going to make a diagnosis of lichen sclerosis, you need to have, certainly I would say, probably at least two of these features present um, because we are seeing a lot of patients being told they've got lichen sclerosis with very little evidence for it. So the classic feature is the very white plaque. Um, Ecchymosis, those tiny little bleeding points, are very common. And as the disease progresses, it will lead to anatomical alteration and what we call architectural change, um, which can be prevented with early recognition and treatment and fissuring again with active disease. And what you will sometimes see if patients have been scratching significantly is you will see areas of excoriation. But if you see that, that must disappear within about two weeks of adequate topical steroid treatment and if it doesn't then any atypical area like that must be biopsied. Now one of the important um, things uh, to differentiate really between lichen sclerosis and lichen planus, lichen sclerosis never affects the vagina except in this very rare situation where you have uh, a prolapse, the vaginal mucosa is then becomes keratinized and you will sometimes develop lichen sclerosis on the area but otherwise it does not affect the vagina. And as I was saying, beware of overdiagnosis. Um, know what is normal anatomy. Sometimes the labia minora are just small, but you can't make a diagnosis if a patient just has a little bit of itch and just normal uh, and normal but small labia minora. They need to have those white plaques, um, fissures, ecchymosis, and we don't want them to get architectural change. But if you see them late without treatment, you will see that. But The major differential diagnosis is vitiligo. And as I've shown you, hyperkeratosis can sometimes look pale. Um, But certainly in um, the British Association of Dermatology guidelines, um, we would always recommend that young women are biopsied to confirm the diagnosis um, and any patient who has atypical disease, um, if you're not clear about diagnosing it clinically. So how do we manage a patient with lichen sclerosis? So... Um, This is what you don't do. These are all treatments in the literature. Topical testosterone, there is no role for testosterone in the management of lichen sclerosis. There is very good evidence that that does not work and gives people side effects. And vulvectomy should never be done without a diagnosis of vulval squamous cell carcinoma. So for benign disease, surgery in women should not be undertaken unless there is malignancy or very severe um, scarring. Because all that happens is that the lichen sclerosis kerbnerizes in the scar tissue um, and causes just as many symptoms as, uh, as before. So how do we treat it? And there is overwhelming evidence for the use of an ultra potent topical steroid as first line management for lichen sclerosis. There are Cochrane reviews, there are a grade um uh, approved guidelines um, that all point to that. There are also randomised controlled trials now about um, the use of an ultra potent topical steroid. Uh, these are the BAD guidelines. There are also some European guidelines which um, are fairly similar but older than these. Um, don't worry about this. You can see all of the guidelines They're They're widely available open access on the, the BAD website. But this is just the algorithm for managing. And I really am going to highlight this area here, which I've mentioned already, making a diagnosis. So you need to have symptoms and clinical signs. And if you're confident of the clinical diagnosis and you're experienced in managing lichen sclerosis, then it is reasonable to start an ultra potent topical steroid. But if you are not confident... Don't treat it empirically. Um, and you, if you're going to refer the patient, what you can do is to just use um, a mild topical steroid because that will help the symptoms to a degree, but it will not alter what we see when we see the patient. Because not only does um, an ultrapotent steroid help the symptoms, it will also re- reduce and sometimes reverse the histological features. So even a biopsy is not going to be helpful. Dermavate ointment or clobetis or propionate, Um, this is, dermavate is used in in most countries. Um, This is what we use. We use about half a fingertip unit, a small frozen pea size. And an induction regime would be once daily for a month, alternate days for the second month, twice a week for the third month. And then the treatment has to be individualized to maintain control. So, some patients might need it once a week. Um, some patients need very little and you follow them up and they have not use treatment, but their disease is not progressing. Um, but if you are going to say, just use it when needed, then they need to be followed up so that they get the best advice and the things are monitored. So, what are the complications? So, Autoimmune disease is not really a complication, but it's more of an association. But in women, there's about a 40% link with um, other autoimmune disease like thyroid disease in particular. Scarring is a problem. Um, You can't reverse that with medical treatment, but you can stop it when you start adequate management. And if a patient does have severe scarring, this applies to lichen planus as well, then certainly that would be an indication to refer to a specialised centre because the surgery for that is um, specialised and it does need to be done with very good and adequate um, follow-up protocols for using topical steroids fairly immediately after surgery. Differentiated VIN and squamous cell carcinoma, SEC, is said to occur in about 3 to 4%. Um, But it does tend to occur on a very specific, atypical type of lichen sclerosis Um, and patients who have well-managed disease do not seem to have that problem. And vulvodynia, um, there are patients who can develop neuropathic pain even when the lichen sclerosis is um, treated. So this is a patient with LS and vitiligo. Um, So you will sometimes see those two diseases together, particularly in children. Differentiated VIN. this is a subtle uh, histological diagnosis where all of the uh, change is going on just at the basement membrane with some mitoses. It's very important to recognise that because um, this has a very high risk of developing um, SCC. The risk of malignancy, if you look at it the other way round and you take patients with vulval SCC, a significant number of them will have lichen sclerosis adjacent to that that may not have been recognised. So follow-up for patients um, at three months after the induction regime, then six months after that, and then 12 months. And if well-controlled, patients can be discharged with very good information. But any patient who requires ongoing treatment, atypical disease, or certainly if there's a history of VIN, needs long-term follow-up in a specialised clinic. And so then lastly, just to talk about lichen planus, um, because this has um, common features, you'll all recognise that very easily. Typical lichen planus on the um, wrists and in the mouth. Again, etiology is not really known. Um, there may be a little bit more evidence for an autoimmune background to lichen planus because it is sometimes linked to um, uh, hepatitis C infections and other potential um, antibody reactions, but again, not clear. Now, in lichen planus, it's a little bit more common in uh, women than men, but this is incredibly rare in childhood. Um, And it really is much more a postmenopausal disease. I have a handful of patients with lichen planus in the reproductive years. It's really not common. And there are three main types. So there's the classic type that looks very much like what you would expect to see on the um, wrists or the skin. The big uh, important one is erosive lichen planus um, on the vulva. And this particular variant of that, which has a genetic uh, link of the vulvovaginal gingival syndrome. And then hypertrophic LP, which is much less common, but important because of the increased risk of malignancy with that type. So lichen planus can be asymptomatic, but it generally presents with soreness and discomfort, burning, pain with intercourse, and often a discharge because this can affect the um, vagina, the erosive type can, the hypertrophic and the classic type do not. The histology um, is different, but again, you have this sort of sore toothed epidermis, hypergranulosis, basal cell changes, and then this very dense lymphocytic um, infiltrate uh, in the dermis. And again, classic type lichen planers, this is exactly what you would see on the buccal mucosa, this sort of network of Wickham striae. And if you have a patient with this and you want to biopsy to make the diagnosis, take the biopsy across that edge of one of those striae because that will give you the most um, likely and helpful information. Hypertrophic lichen planus, again, these sort of rather odd plaques, um, much less common variety, very itchy, often presents perianally. And this is the type that may well have an increased risk of squamous cell carcinoma, so it needs to be managed properly. And erosive LP, this, this is important because this is the one not to miss symmetrical erosion. There is loss of the labia minora completely. So these patients get just as much, if not more, scarring than patients with lichen sclerosis. And the important thing with this is the the vulval vaginal gingival syndrome. Um, You will see that you've got these marked erosions. And if they occur on the walls of the vagina, there's a very strong likelihood that those walls will stick together. And these patients will often present with a completely stenotic um, vagina and often nobody can get a speculum in to do a smear test and that's how they present. There are a couple of other uh, diseases that will cause similar scarring, mucous membrane pemphigoid, graft-versus-host disease, um, and the other thing that can be a differential diagnosis with um, erosive lichen planus is this rather erosive type of VIN. In contrast to the lichen planus, this is very asymmetrical, even though it does look eroded and this is occurring on a background of um, lichen sclerosis. Now, one of the great things as dermatologists is that you have lots of other areas that you can look at that will give you clues. And the classic and hypertrophic types of LP are often linked with um, scalp involvement, uh, obviously frontal fibrosing, alopecia, uh, you can get more generalised um, scarring alopecia or even just patches of it. Um, and then this uh, nail changes um, as well. Again, oral disease, so lichen planus on the tongue, gingival disease, but also lichen planus on the lips is, I think, a lot more common than um, we think. And never forget perianal skin because, again, you can get um perianal lichen planus, which can sometimes cause anal um, uh, thickening and stenosis of the anal canal. But when we're thinking about erosive lichen planus, there are some other very important sites. We've talked about the vagina and the um, gums, but also there are other important areas. So first of all, lacrimal ducts. You will see this scarring around the lacrimal duct, and these patients will present with a lot of their eyes water a lot. And you need to be working with an ophthalmologist that understands about this condition because they can help to manage that. And esophageal, I complain this again, um, can be a problem. Um, Patients will present with dysphagia um, and these patients will have very friable erosive change. And there is a much higher risk of esophageal malignancy with this type. So dermatologists we won't manage that but it's important to think about it and to refer the patient on and also conductive deafness because it can affect the external auditory meatus. So the management of lichen planus, emollients um, are used um, just as for uh, lichen sclerosis. The topical steroid regime is exactly the same Uh, Barrier preparations for erosive disease. Um, There is some evidence for calcineurin inhibitors. They're certainly helpful in the mouth, but are not so helpful on the uh, vulva because they often um, sting quite a lot when they're applied. And there's no evidence for any systemic agent um, in lichen planus. People have tried methotrexate, cyclosporine, um, a couple of case reports about biologics, but there are also a lot of... um, Patients uh, reported who have developed lichen planus as a consequence of like a of, of biologic treatment. So we don't really um, know. So topical treatment is by far the most effective. Complications, really exactly the same as with lichen sclerosis. Um, uh, as I was saying, squamous cell carcinoma, mainly with the hypertrophic form of, of lichen planus. But again, you will see very atypical disease um, the whole way around that. So, when to refer on? I think any patient with erosive LP does need to be managed in a specialised clinic because you need a multidisciplinary team to help you manage the other complications. Any patient with atypical disease, um, and certainly patients where there's any complication with differentiated VIN, uh, need to be followed carefully and patients who don't respond to treatment because there's usually a reason why they don't respond to treatment. Um, That may be because they have developed a complication um, or they're not um, applying the treatment correctly or there may be another diagnosis. So um, in summary, um, I hope I've shown you the clinical features of common vulval dermatoses, the basic management, um, and when to refer on for uh, specialist
0: um, management.
1: Again, such an important
0: subject. Absolutely. And this is a first for us. Because of the overwhelming response to the first episode, we prioritized bringing part two to the listeners as soon as we could.
1: We're lucky to have such great listeners, and we will continue to provide you information that informs and inspires you. Of course, webcasts like the one we listened to today are available on demand for EADV members as part of the EADV learning. For more information about membership, Go to www.edv.org.
0: We thank Dr. Lewis for making such important information available, and we would like to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in and giving us feedback. If you enjoy this podcast, make sure you follow us on Spotify or subscribe on Apple Podcasts to make sure you get the newest episodes delivered right to you. We appreciate you joining us and look forward to presenting more interviews, research, and other topics of merit. Until the next episode, take care of your skin.